When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 10th time they've made it! They've won a playoff campaign! And they've done it at Wembley! And for the first time in 74 years, Brentford will play in the top flight of English football! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Eden Road podcast where on tonight's show we're going to be previewing the game against Liverpool on Saturday down at the GTEC. If you haven't already listened to our Wolves full-time show, go do so now. The episode is live across all platforms. Mark Flecken, Ivan Tony, and a special tweet of the week all discussed. So do go and have a listen slash watch before you come back to listen to this preview. Joining me tonight, though, for the preview uh, is Neil Atkinson of the Anfield Rap. Neil, lovely to see you again, mate. Uh, uh, hope all's well with you. Uh, absolutely. And just before we get going, guys, remember to subscribe to the YouTube and Spotify channels, leave a comment below, and also give us a follow on our socials. That's at Eden Road on Twitter and at Eden Road Pod on Instagram. Neil, last time we spoke, it was relatively early on in the season. Since then, quite a lot has happened. It looks like it's going to be a three-horse race for the title this season between yourselves, Arsenal and City. How are you feeling in terms of that title race? Well, we're top. So that helps. Uh, <laughs> we've also got City to come to Anfield. So that helps. In the past, where we've had this this idea of going head-to-head with City, we've had to go to their place. Well, they've got to come to ours in this instance. And that that's uh, before the next international break. It's, it's the 10th of March. So that's good as well. Now, listen, if City win all the games between now and then, um, then they'll have either a game in hand, I think, or they'll be, uh, they will no longer have the game in hand and they'll be ahead of us by a point. So that day, therefore, when they come, we'd need to win. It would be great if they were to drop points between now and then. Um, and obviously, we've got to keep going about our business. And then from there, sort of see if Arsenal can can live with the pace that we know City can set and that Liverpool have been able to live with uh, in three previous seasons, but only elicited one league title from that. So I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be really, really tight. It's going to be tense. I'd quite like there to be thrills and spills um, because the worst bit of it is when you feel as though uh, the City are just going to win relentlessly mm-hmm. uh, because it just sort of it means that you almost can't enjoy your wins if you just think that they're going to win or if they've already won, if you see what I mean but, you know, we can't control that we can't change that, we've just got to go for it and we're in four competitions and I think we've got a really good chance of coming away from this season right now with at least two trophies and that is far more fortunate than most football clubs ever find themselves in. Exactly. I, I, for one, looking at it from a kind of outside perspective in terms of the title race, it'd be great if we could get to sort of middle of April time and Arsenal, City and Liverpool are still in it. Because like you say, I mean, when City purr, they do tend to run away with it. I know Arsenal ran them close last season and obviously Liverpool have in previous years, but it would be nice to have three teams in, in the title race. Also, the news about Jurgen Klopp leaving that we were speaking about off camera before we start recording this. I remember last time we spoke, I asked you about when you thought Klopp would leave Liverpool. And I think at the time you said you wanted him to stay forever, which is which is fair enough. But now now we have that verdict. What was yeah. your reaction to the news? Uh, how's it been going since? I thought he's I thought he'd signed a new deal. I was genuine when the thing popped up on the phone with the way the camera was shot, that was the way in which he, he confirmed his previous deal and genuinely for the first sort of 
0.3 of a second. <laughs> That's what I thought we were getting, but he got into the meat of it really, really quickly. Listen, I think it's in loads of ways, sort of spiritually, um, you know, a lot of the intangibles, uh, the idea of Klopp going is, is and remains absolutely heartbreaking. But he's talked through it and he's explained how he feels, the way he feels and how he's come to the conclusion because he's he's very, very good at articulating himself. Um, you know, he's very good at being in the moment and explaining his thinking in a moment and that's what he's done. So, listen, it's an enormous blow, uh, not least because, because one of the things that he has offered is stability. But other football managers have won trophies and achieved things in the last five years, six years, seven years that aren't Jurgen Klopp. It's not, for me, necessarily... It might prove to be, but it's not necessarily for me uh, some sort of definitive blow for Liverpool on the sporting side. Where we'll miss him is almost on the pastoral, as odd as that might be as a thing to say for a football manager. You know, his, his leadership around a great many issues uh, that pertain to the club, um, his general decency, his demeanour, the fact that he absolutely adores the place and adores the people and, and, and has, has bought into it completely. That's what you'll miss. Um, that's not to do him down as a football manager. He's obviously a genuinely great one. And what he's achieved with Liverpool from 2015 to 2020 to 2024 is enormous. But part of that achievement is that Liverpool are now a, a different club to the one that Klopp walked into. And what I found around the discourse from a lot of people, I did something with Five Live. And I mean, I've had a couple of drinks by eight o'clock, but they were almost talking like it was the end. Some like the end of Liverpool, like there'll be no coming back from this. And you know, under Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool of there's two new stands have been built. Uh, Liverpool are on the last Deloitte report, the seventh uh, highest earning club on the planet. Um, in previous years, they've been the third. It's the Champions League shortcoming that's that's knocked us back. Uh, but we're going to be back in the Champions League next season. You know, this is now a very different club to the one that Jurgen Klopp took over, and that's to Jurgen Klopp's credit. But what that therefore means is the next manager comes in and the brief is to win, which it wasn't for Jurgen. Jurgen had to build something. Whoever comes in next can use what Jurgen's built um, to, to go beyond that. And that, I think, is a reason to be excited rather than a reason to be scared. Do you, just on that kind of when they said it's the end of Liverpool, I know it's not the end of Liverpool, but in terms of what Jurgen Klopp has done at the club and the his his him and his backroom staff are going to be leaving. You know, Van Dyke said yeah. something which I'm not sure you can take. You have to take with a bit. Of no, Van Dyke pulled right the way back on it and apologised. Yeah, he did. He it. did pull back on it. But I, you know, with the Saudi interest in Salah, with Van Dyke saying things like that, I feel like there's gonna there's gonna be some big changes. Is do you think the word rebuild is is the right word to use when we talk about Logan no. leaving Liverpool? No, no, no. I don't. I don't. No, no. I mean, just to sort of take the squad. So I, I don't think Van Dijk will be going anywhere. I would be really surprised. And I think he was. What was put to him was you haven't got a, you haven't got a deal. And mm -hmm. what his response was was well, no one's made me an offer. But the reason why there's not been an offer on the table for Van Dijk is because the first thing that I'd ask if I was Virgil Van Dijk's agents would be who's going to be the, is, is is you know who's the manager. And I don't think that they wanted to have that conversation in bad faith. So I suspect that that'll get sorted. Um, there's, you know, there's a, there's a trends contract situation that's coming up as well. I think Salah's always been, in every single sense, really, he's always been something different, Salah. And I sort of see him off to one side, including the way where he sits in Liverpool's wage structure. He earns, you know, um, effectively 50% more of Virgil van Dijk's basic wage and Virgil van Dijk's the second highest earner. Liverpool have sort of managed to silo Salah into being a separate thing. And I think regardless of what was happening with the manager, he would still have been a bit of a separate oddity mm -hmm. as to what happens with him next. Up to including the Saudi Arabian stuff, I mean, it, that does not seem anywhere near as exciting a proposition as it did 12 months ago, 15 months ago for these yeah. players. So <clears throat> I... Um, I think that the idea of a rebuild, there's lots and lots of very, very good 
footballers playing for Liverpool uh, under the age of 28. Uh, and whichever manager comes in next will be able to to reap the rewards of that, as well as maybe make one or two changes. It's not to say that Liverpool are going to go for a continuity candidate. It's just more that they've got a lot of really, really good players. So, you know, I'm not... If it's a summer, listen, if it's a summer of, of, of eight out and six in, I'll look, look like a fool. Uh, but I just don't think it will be. Um, you know, I don't think that a lot of how Liverpool have sort of profile for these players will change that much. I think it'll be a summer of maybe four in, but I think that four in for a club of Liverpool statures a reasonable summer. It's just that it's not happened that often under Klopp uh, because for a couple of reasons, really, and Klopp himself is one of them. So, no, I, what I'm not... You know, I, I feel a bit like whoever succeeds Klopp, there's an onus on them to win. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important not to... I'm not going to be that interested. That's not to say win the league or be sacked in some sort of ridiculous way. My point is there's an onus on them to challenge uh, and to have the sort of season that we're having now because this is the sort of season we should have had last season. It's the sort of season the club's now set up to have because of the work that Jurgen Klopp's done. It's the sort of season Liverpool have had in three or four of the last five or six seasons. So that's the job now. And that's what Jurgen, that's Jurgen, what Jurgen's greatest achievement is that that's the job. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not. I'm. I'm fine with the idea of a, a season of semi-transition where you come third and you, you get to the semi-final of the FA Cup, and it looks like something might happen in February. You know, if there needs to be one of them, then that's all right. But the idea that someone needs to go through what Jurgen Klopp did from 2015 to 2018 is mm. not something I've got the patience for, and I don't think Liverpool supporters should have. Mm. I mean, that's just a reflection of the club's success since Jurgen. Exactly, Klopp. that's yeah, the point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. On that, on that note, and I do want to talk about the game on Saturday, but there is a small Brentford link to the news that Jurgen Klopp's leaving with Thomas Frank being linked to the job. Um, first of all, can Liverpool fans look past Xabi Alonso as Klopp's natural successor? And second of all, if they can, do you or your Liverpool friends or Liverpool fans look at Thomas Frank as someone who could potentially fill that managerial vacancy? A couple of people have mentioned Thomas Frank to me. Um some of the smarter people I know have mentioned Thomas Frank to me. Um, I I really like Thomas Frank. I think that one of the problems he has had and will continue to have is he hasn't been able to show what it looks like when he's expected to win every week at the highest mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. So I think there's no doubt that can Thomas Frank set up a team to really profit against the best side? The answer that's yes. Can Thomas Frank set up a team to press? The answer is yes. Uh, Can can he set up defensively strong? Yep. Can he put an attacking plan together? Yep, absolutely. But why I would worry is even versus a manager like who would be deemed an equivalent, whether fairly or unfairly, someone like Ange Postacoglu. Postacoglu's got to A, coach Celtic, where he's expected to win every week and is deemed to have the better players and then has managed to go ahead and do that. And then B, looked after Tottenham, where so far this season in the league he's won more games than he's drawn or lost. And that's because of the the breadth of attack and talent at his disposal. And I just don't think where I think it, it would be a massive jump for Thomas Frank, mm-hmm. even though I think it'd be a significant jump for Postacoglu, it'd be a massive jump for, for, for Thomas Frank is that. None of that's to say I don't think he's you know, a brilliant manager. It's because I do actually think he's a really, really good manager. It's just how... It's how he gets to demonstrate what you... It's been easier, for instance, for Deserby for a variety of reasons, to demonstrate an unbelievable breadth of attacking ability as a manager last season than Frank's ever had the opportunity to do because he really has been flying the play whilst he's building it in a number of ways. And then he's had hard lines. And then he's had the sort of wear and tear you get as a manager. He's had this season with Tony and Rico Henry, now in Bueno. You know, I I feel as though if Frank was to get a job, and I think he's be 
could well be very capable of doing a job like the Liverpool one. But if he was to get a job like the Liverpool one, I feel as though he possibly needs to get another job mm-hmm. separate to Brentford. And that's not to disrespect Brentford in any way, shape or form. I think he needs to go to a club where you're expected to win and you need to win over 50% of your league games over the course of a season. And then you start to talk about, okay, can you take that 50% to 66%, 68% and set a team up to do that? So that's what would worry me. As looking back, listen, Alonso is the favourite for good reason. And the other reason why Alonso is the favourite is, let's just say it doesn't go quite as well as you'd like results-wise in October, November. Uh, but you feel as though the essence of what he's trying to do is right. It'll be easier for people to have patience around Alonso on top mm-hmm. of the fact that he also looks like he could be the coming man. Uh, he looks like he's got a lot of gifts. So I think, listen, I I think that if, I think that the stars are aligning for Alonso, but I think there is a couple of moving parts that I think are under-discussed, which is I think there's a chance he might say no. Um, and I think there's a real sort of expectation amongst Liverpool supporters that if Liverpool come calling for Alonso, he'll say yes. But it looks to me like he's really sort of planned his career out so far. Mm-hmm. He does a second season at Sociedad B that he didn't need to do. He's gone for Leverkusen. He might want a year in the Champions League before he then moves to manage for a cl- to a club that's expected to win the Champions League is what worries me. He might want to do a year's practice. So I think that we need to be prepared for the idea that Alonso might just not be 100% certain that now's the right time. He might want 12 more months cutting his teeth. And if that's the case, well, we can't wait. So that's where other candidates do come in. And, and that's where someone like Frank would be discussed. But as I say, my concern, despite the fact that I do think he's very good indeed, is just what does it look like when you are expected to win all the time? Do, do you think there's, in light of that, because you, you kind of said Thomas Frank needs another club before he goes on, Xabi Alonso looks like he's planned out his career quite meticulously so far. And I actually think it would do him a world of good to maybe go to a different club and then take the Liverpool job a few years down the line when he's got more experience under his belt. So in light, in light of those two, that kind of sentiment, is there like a ready-made Klopp replacement? And And as a follow-up, do you think the Klopp replacement needs to be like Klopp? in terms of what he is beyond the football manager, or do you think he needs to go down a different avenue and kind of reinvent Liverpool? No, on the personality point, the, the, th- the first thing that Klopp is, is himself. So Klopp's mm-hmm. different at Liverpool than he was at Dortmund in a number of different ways. I know it doesn't seem like it at times, but he's much more reserved and was much more reserved as Liverpool manager from day one. The, the, the moments of extraordinary OTT celebration from Klopp at Liverpool have been have been actually fewer and further between than they were when he was at Dortmund and when he was at Mainz, for instance, just that stuff on the sidelines. And I think he, he wanted to come to Liverpool and, and effectively grow up is the wrong way to phrase it, but become a senior manager, if you see what mm-hmm. I mean. At Mainz, yeah, yeah. he takes the job in his early 30s, he's the young pup. At Dortmund, he's the Tyro. And I think at Liverpool, and he's grown with Liverpool and now he is... You know, he has sort of a strange elder, elder statesman sort of feeling around. Him. <laughs> so, so, but, but what he is, though, is relentlessly himself. He's whoever he is. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, if the next manager listens, you know, Bob Paisley succeeds Bill Shankly. Shankly's a, a man of a thousand brilliant quotes uh, that got quoted all the time. And Bob Paisley's got about two. Um, but Paisley wins more than Shankly. You know, Paisley wins six league titles in nine years. Uh, Shankly, I think, in total, only ever won three league titles in, in 15. So you, you, it changes, but Paisley was himself. Klopp was himself. I think where Liverpool managers sometimes go wrong is when they lose their essence and lose the sense of self because it is such a big job. It does overwhelm people and the demands are massive and the expectations are massive. So I think that whoever it is, whoever it is, they've just got to be able to be themselves under that under that spotlight and, and with those pressures. So that's where, you know, 
that's where, for instance, someone like Postacoglu gets interesting because he's done it at Celtic. Um, and Celtic, it is not the same as Liverpool in terms of the quality that you both got and also what you're up against. But that, in a number of ways, that sort of doesn't matter, uh, I think. I think the idea of having lived an emotional hot house. I think is a big deal. But there's other managers. I mean, I'm always intrigued by who does or doesn't get talked about. You know, Zinedine Zidane is currently without a club. What's he ever going to do? Just go and bob in and out of Real Madrid from every night. But flip side is he said he's got no interest in learning English. Um, you know, there's 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 a number of other coaches who are who are knocking around Europe. There's Luis Enrique, uh, who I think is an underrated coach in terms of what he achieved at Barcelona. There's um, you know, there's there's Nagelsmann. Uh, in there as well. Uh, so I think, you know, you've got those sorts of names. Then there's the left field young shouts like Ruben Amarim at mm-hmm. Sport and Lisbon, who there'll be talk about in there. Um, you know, I think Deserby last season is worthy of what he does last season, Deserby. I actually think it's been understated and under discussed. He manages to post the sort of attacking numbers that he posts better attacking numbers than Arsenal. And Arsenal were going for the title with Brighton squad. He posts equivalent attacking numbers to Manchester City, better than Liverpool. Now he's found this season hard himself on his own managerial journey, but that that those attacking metrics that he managed to meet last season, that's stuff few and far between. You know, it really does not happen that often. And he did it with Brighton uh, in the last campaign. And then I feel like it's come a bit early for someone like Iriola. I think mm-hmm. if it was Iriola, I think he he might be able to wonder if he might be in the conversation if it had gone 12 more months. But I just think he's not had enough time to really get his feet under the table at, Bol- at Bournemouth. But you never know. And then there's another part of this as well, which is that Liverpool might think, well, we can take a gamble on the next one because if it goes great, then amazing. If it goes wrong, how badly wrong can it go? And it might be that someone like Alonso or someone else just doesn't want to follow Klopp, mm-hmm. at which point then it, it shifts. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tough job for whoever follows Klopp. Yeah. Let's let's um let's move on to the game on Saturday because I feel I could I could talk about the Liverpool situation. And it's got a, it's got a lot of coverage. Um, it has. In, my, in my in my day job, we've been covering it relentlessly, and you know every podcast when it came out is for a week. It was just Klopp, Klopp, Klopp. But let, let's 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 crack on to the game on Saturday. I do want to talk about the last couple of games as they precede the game on Saturdays. First of all, the crunch game against Arsenal, in which I think it would be fair to say Arsenal were probably at their best and Liverpool were below par, which contributed to the result. Um, what went wrong that day and how important was it to get the the bounce back win or the bounce back feeling against Burnley? If I knew what was wrong, what had gone wrong that day, I reckon Jurgen Klopp would actually have me as an advisor. Uh, <laughs> it was it's Liverpool's worst performance of the season, and that's mm-hmm. a hugely annoying situation in the context of the fact that we were at Arsenal. Um listen, Arsenal did things to make it hard for Liverpool, but even in the second half, I actually thought Arsenal, right up until the mistake between Allison and Van Dijk was just a moment where I was beginning to think Arsenal had almost punched themselves out again a little bit. Like, they'd, they'd, they'd be much better than us. But the game was just beginning to do a bit of a thing where it ebbed away from them, and then we, we gifted them that goal. Um, and that obviously changed everything. It put Arsenal's tails back up, and then Arsenal looked like the side they looked in the first half again, and, and we looked even more inept. So, um, you know, it is our... We, listen, we've lost two league games this season. The other one was away at Tottenham, and amongst all the, you know, the, the unique VAR madness of the 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 um, video assistant referee giving the decision but miscommunicating it woefully. Um, that was the other game that we lost and we didn't deserve to lose that. We arguably deserved to lose away at Palace uh, when for 70 minutes we were very much second best and mm-hmm. then they went down to 10 and we won the game. So I think we've only des- we've only lost two games this season and I, I do think we've only we, we've only deserved to lose two. That's not to say we played Ripper on in football the rest of the time, but we had an excellent January and that's why the Arsenal result really did check our momentum because we were terrific uh, across the board in January, including winning at Arsenal the FA Cup so yeah I think I feel like we're in good nick 
before Saturday, but we've got injury issues, injury headaches, as Brentford have, have had and still do have, uh, as all teams do have. But yeah, we've got we've got a couple of question marks around us for Saturday, but it was important to bounce back um, last time out against Burnley. Um, I'm of the view we've just got to we've just got to keep finding our way until that game against Manchester City. Um, that's you know that's the next time we I think we need to play brilliantly. Uh, I think in between now and then we can we need to play responsibly and maturely, which we failed to do at Arsenal. We need to manage our emotions, which I think we failed to do against Arsenal. And we need to make sure that we're, we, we, if we do nothing daft because of the, the breadth and the depth of the attack and talent, then I think as long as we do nothing daft, we can keep picking up the three pointers. We will need to be a lot better than we were against Arsenal uh, if we're going to stand a chance against City. But that's that's still a month away. Mm-hmm. I just want to confirm Mo Salah back in training. I don't know yeah. if that means that he is going to be fit for the game. Do you know anything about his? his if he's, in, if he's in, the way they tend to do it, if he's in team training, he's the, the expectation is that he's fit to be able to play for the team. I suspect, given what's just happened recently with Thiago Sabozlai and Trent, I suspect the ideal for Liverpool will be he starts from the bench. Uh, for this one against Brentford, could be wrong, but that's what I think. You know, and Mo Salah most definitely won't want to because he's a head case. But, um, but I think that Salah probably started this one from the bench. Then we've got a, a, a midweek game against Luton at Anfield, hot on the heels of this one, which I think he therefore might get the start in. Um, and then, and then from there, it's the League Cup final. So I think he probably gets thirty for this one, sixty mm-hmm. for Luton, and then the cup final is the cup final. Good news for us then. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I think I would say is he's a really good sub. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It could be. It could be an interesting thing to uh, to see how that plays out. Let's. Um, who's impressed you the most since we last since we last had a conversation? Um, because obviously but, there's a lot of players that have been doing well. Trent looks like he's coming of age in a new position. Front three is just like even without Sally, he's still scoring goals for fun. So who's, yeah. who's impressed you the most? Nunez is so important to us. Um, mm-hmm. He's so important to us. He does so much damage um, to the opposition. He drags players all over the place. He's, you know, he, he he takes two or even three to defend him at times. He's that good, um, and he's just he can't be left alone. I think that there's a lot of people who want to talk about the fact that the finishing is sometimes erratic. I think it's also just sometimes unfortunate. He, you know, I've seen he's hit a lot of woodwork this season, and I've seen some of the best saves I've ever seen from opposition keepers uh, pulled pulled off against him. But there is also an erratic thing to his finishing. But you can't, as a defender, you can't say, well, it's all right. He'll probably probably miss and not mark him or go with his run. You know, it's not an option. Ben Mee can't turn afterwards to half time to Thomas Frank and say, well, I thought I'd just leave him. Um, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's, it won't go down well. Um, Jot has been brilliant since Christmas. Uh, really, really strong Diogo Jota since Christmas. Um, and then Trent won't be available for the game against Brentford. Mm. Uh, he's mm-hmm. now out for another at least 10 days. I think I think he'll next start the game against City. Um, so, from the sounds of things. So, Connor Bradley just got our player of the month for January and was genuinely, unbelievably good uh, in January. Like, came from nowhere, amazed everyone. Um, not internally. The players themselves and the, the 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 coaching staff are not surprised. The people who watched him last year at Bolton are not surprised when he was at League One. He he was Bolton's Player of the Year, Young Player of the Year, and Players Player of the Year last season at Bolton in League One. So Bolton aren't surprised either. Bolton supporters all sort of popped up the morning after on on everyone's social, going, "See, that's what we were saying." <laughs> um, but he's been brilliant, and I'd expect him to start uh, against Brentford. 
Um, and if he does, he is he is a sight to behold. Um, he's excellent as well. Obviously, you know that Van Dijk's good. That's not a surprise. The goalkeeper's good. Um, so is the goalkeeper going to be back? Uh, yeah, it was flu. It was okay, well, okay. it was a bad cold. So he'll be uh-huh. back. Joe Gomez will be back. And then I think the other ones. So the other thing to watch is Kurt, the midfield three is likely to be Wataru Endo, Curtis Jones, and Alexis McAllister. Um, and I think that's quite a neat three. The only thing is that, you know, McAllister's not the biggest, and we know that Brentford are a big side. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's a neat three that I think Liverpool will, will will need to play well in order to be able to get a real foothold of Brentford and to be able to get the results. But all three of them have at different times across the last sort since we last spoke. All three of them have really, really impressed. I'm going into the game on Saturday. I'm not confident, but I'm not going into the game thinking that we're going to get battered. Um, on the basis of we've got a decent record against Liverpool in the Premier League, at home at least. And You're even unbeaten's a great record. Yeah, exactly. And we've we've played it in the games we've played against you. I don't think we've actually played particularly badly. Even in the 3 0 at Anfield earlier this season, I would maybe say that the 3 0 scoreline wasn't perhaps a true reflection of the game because we Absolutely we agree. Yeah, we didn't we didn't we didn't play that badly. And with I, I was watching the Burnley highlights and I saw that they had a couple of opportunities. I just think we We'll go into this game on Saturday knowing that we've got a good record at home against Liverpool. And I think it could be a tough fixture for you. What, do, what how, how are you feeling ahead of the game in, specifically without kind of reference to the big games you've got against City coming up? I, I, I think it's a really dangerous fixture for us. We've never won there under Klopp. So mm-hmm. we need to fix that. Um, I think that Brentford are a good side. I think they're better than the league position. I think the underlying numbers suggest that they're better than the league position. For me, the... Um, for me, I see it as akin to going to West Ham, and West Ham currently sit eighth and are the Conference League champions. You know, that's the sort of the level of difficulty I'd be talking about there. So, you know, games, that's a tough game as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I'm nervous about it. I, I don't think it's going to be straightforward at all because I respect what Brentford are capable of. I think Rajulion's done all right since he's got him, but I don't mm-hmm. think he is Rico Henry. Certainly in terms of just understanding where his teammates are, and I do think that one of the things that we found really difficult to play against has been in Bueno's movement. Mm-hmm. Also, I just think in general, in Bueno's movement's really underrated by the sort of wider football watching public. It's not just that he's got pace. I think pace actually damns him with a little bit of faint praise. Um, I think acting like well, all it is that it is that he's quick is is nonsense. I think he's so intelligent, and I think he because of his intelligence and Tony's intelligence, they just dovetail beautifully together and make themselves difficult to play against. So I think knowing Bueno living on the shoulder will make things a little bit easier for us. If I was if I was Thomas Frank and I'm not and he's a smarter man than me and he knows his players, but I would start Lewis Potter and not more pay. Mm-hmm. Um off the basis of the fact that I think just having that threat of movement in behind could make Liverpool take a few steps back. So yeah, I think it's gonna be a tough game. Um, I'm real, you know. I'll take any filthy victory right now um, and just get out of dodge because because I do think we are in dodge with it. The City game recently, I thought was quite eye opening in that first and foremost, I think if Brentford had had a bit more pace on the counter, they'd have mm. had an out ball in the first half and they'd have been able to get off the, get up the pitch. And the other thing I actually thought was between sixty and seventy, I actually thought Brentford were more, were more likely to score um, a two one. But City are what City are and what top sides are, which is an opportunity comes and they can be ruthless with it. And they, they took it and they were, and it went 3-1. But there was a period there, really as odd as it is to say, I wasn't thinking what... I obviously want City to drop points, so I was watching that game with a very much a Brentford hat on. <laughs> I When you went 1-0 up, I wasn't thinking, aye, aye, there's something in this. Really, I was thinking City will have this back by half-time. In fact, if you'd have asked me to put money on it at that point, I said it'll be 2-1 City at half-time. Mm. Um, when it got to 65 was when I began to get interested 
because there was only one goal in it, and I thought you were you looked in stronger and better nick than them. So you're capable of that. And if one of those chances had perhaps been a slightly better chance, the ball bounces the right way. You never know that could have gone two two, and then I think the game would have been a bit out of control from City's point of view. And that's what I think Brentford are capable of, and, and City are the you know the, they won the treble last season. So I think it's going to be a really hard game. Yeah, in terms of prospects of facing Ivan Tony, wasn't involved in in the reverse fixture at Anfield. He's, he's obviously really good, but he's, you know, in this league at the minute, you play good players all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, you know, there's, I thought Fafana was good for Burnley, for God's sake, in their 19th. Uh, you know, last week, I thought he looked really lively and had something about him. So, Tony's obviously really good. I think he's good enough to play for a Champions League team. But again, the argument at least goes from Chelsea's point of view is that when they're ready to be a Champions League club again, they may well be ready to pick someone like Fafana. Um you know, you look up and down this division at the minute with the possible exception of Sheffield United. Uh, I know he's not in a rich vein of form, but Calvert-Lewin's a good player. Adebayo is a really good player at Luton. Uh, Nottingham Forest. I've got Ian Ewey, who I think's great. You know, Palace have got Eze and Elise, who I think we'd all say are good enough to play Champions League football, uh, to be at least in a Champions League squad. Tony's good enough to play Champions League football, but so is Dominic Solanke. And we mm-hmm. went to Bournemouth and won 4-0. Um, so, I think that, you know, this what the the important that's not to talk anyone down, not far from it. As I say, I think he's good enough to be to be a starter for a Champions League team, which maybe I don't think about Solanke. But if you're going to do what you want to do in this league now, you've got to be able to cope with the fact that everywhere you go, they're going to have a player who is capable of whacking in a nine out of ten and really hurting you. That's the case right up and down the division. So Tony's Brentford's nine out of ten. I'd be more concerned if if it was in Bueno as well, mm-hmm. because I actually think he's good enough to play for a Champions League squad. So then you'd be going to a to a team who've got a front two uh, of players who are good enough to play Champions League football and not just one with, whether it's more pay or Lewis Potter, someone filling in and doing bits. Morpé mm. uh, might surprise you, you know. I know. I know that... He's from good player. He's, 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 <laughs> I don't think he's a good player. My point is more, like, I don't think anyone would think it was mad if, say, you know, Tony goes to Arsenal for 60 million as is being touted. Mm-hmm. But also, if Tottenham, if they qualify for the Champions League, put 50 million on the table for Mbueno, yeah. no one would go, what, where's that come from? But I think we would say that if it was more pay. Similarly, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be surprised if Solanke, you know, bobbed up at the Champions League club next season. We certainly wouldn't be surprised if Pedro Neto bobbed up at one of the teams that qualifies for the Champions League next season. You know, these sort of, but every team's got one. West Ham are in a terrible vein of form at the minute, but they're able to pick Jared Bowen. Last season, they finished 14th, but they could pick Jared Bowen. And Jared Bowen's, I think, an exceptional player, a genuinely top-quality player. They've got Lucas Paqueta. My point's more, in the Premier League now, everywhere you go, you can put a big red ring around yeah. at least one player, if not two or three, and go, they're a bit special. They'd be good enough to play for the third-best team in Germany every mm-hmm. week. Yeah, no, you make a good point. I think last last question, Neil. We mentioned it on our podcast yesterday in our kind of brief preview. It feels like a huge game for Liverpool in that it's getting to the time of the season where City don't stop winning. We yeah. said that kind of plays into our hands. In a way, it kind of almost feels like a free hit. Considering our run of fixtures, we've had the February's just been horrible, which was which made the result at Wolves last week huge. Um, yep. Does it does it feel like every game now is, is a massive game for Liverpool? Yeah, it does, but that's what you want. That's the pressure, and that's what the, the pressure the players want. You know, we won this league about as easily, easily, with as much, as, a, as much of a canter as anybody ever has. Uh, in the March of 2020, we were, we were 25 points clear. We won 26 of our first 27 games. No one had ever done that before, and it's likely in my, in my lifetime no one will again. So in that universe, therefore, 
it's always going to be like this now. Where, where if you want to, you know, if you want to finish ahead of City, if you want to win the league, then you're going to be worrying about City's results, Arsenal's results. They're going to be worrying about ours when you get to February and March. Unless you're going to win 26 out of the first 27, that's just the truth of it. So, this is what we're in it for. So, yeah, I do think it is a bit of a free hit for Brentford. I think you've got a free hit coming up against City on Tuesday night. Then I think you've got a free hit against Arsenal um, second week of March. When I think we that's actually the weekend we play City. So, Arsenal will be desperate to put some scoreboard pressure on both of those sides before that one. But that, therefore, heaps the pressure on them before the ball's kicked. So, yeah, listen, I we need to win. Um, and where I th- But where I think it gets interesting is precisely what the Liverpool mindset is. If it's one-one with ten to go, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that's game specific, are we down to ten men? Have we had an injury? Um, are we are we are we getting battered where we one nil down and it could have been two? Allison saved a penalty. We went up the other end and made it. What do you know what I mean? Will the point feel like getting out of dodge? I don't think you can absolutely say you've absolutely got to win, but what I do think is that at this stage now, you know, I'd certainly I won't take a draw well. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't take a draw well uh, at this point of proceedings. If we had a little bit more wiggle room, um, if we'd have beaten Arsenal, then I'd have looked at this one and the game we've got coming up away at Nottingham Forest and said, it's all, if, if, if something goes a bit wrong, a point's all right. But what happens at Arsenal removes the wiggle room. So it's a game we've got to win. Yeah, it would definitely be a good one. Whenever Brentford and Liverpool meet, yep. I think the two, the two stars of the managers, they match up perfectly. It's never it's never a dull occasion. I think <laughs> that'd be a good point to wrap up. Elon Road Podcast will be back next week to go over the Liverpool game and probably the Man City game as well, just due to the nature of the short turnaround. And we'll also briefly look, away, look ahead to West Ham. In the meantime, please do drop your comments below. How are you feeling ahead of the game? Will we get a result against Liverpool? Who are you most worried about in the Liverpool team? Let us know below. And whilst you're at it, please do share the podcast around with a friend. Word of mouth helps us out massively. Subscribe to the YouTube and Spotify channels. And also give us a follow on our socials. That's at the Elam Road on Twitter and at Elam Road Pod on Instagram. But that was a mouthful, really, wasn't it? Jesus Christ. <laughs> we, all, we all survived. We all got out the other ends. Cheers, Neil. Nice one. Thank you. Podcast Network.